Pierce Vanderslice talked about joy last Sunday. Joy in, as a fruit of the Spirit, joy of the Lord. Let's start with this, though. I texted you on Saturday whenever I found out what was happening in Allen. And I basically asked you, have you ever preached after a significant local tragedy like this? And what you essentially said was, no, I haven't. But And I've also not had to preach a sermon on joy after a significant <laughs> local tragedy. tragedy. Yeah. But one of the things that I did appreciate about your sermon on, on Sunday is that it was evident that you did wrestle with how you present this. You wrestle not only with the text, but you also wrestle with the fact that you're talking to people who had walked with you through what it is that we're walking through in, in this tragedy that happened in Allen. Could you just take a couple of minutes and talk me through your process on Saturday of how injecting that reality into your sermon changed things? The way that I can best think of it is when you preach, you, you usually have the same process. You research, you consult certain commentaries, you begin an outline, manuscript. And so the process stays the same for most of the part. But as, as you've probably experienced, as I have, and as I did this past week, is sometimes it comes more natural. Sure. Sometimes it's more of a labor. And so you mentioned the word wrestle Saturday. I would actually say the wrestling with this subject started long before. And I didn't know why I... I was I'm passionate. I was excited about the topic, but it was just one of those labors of love sure. throughout this entire process. And I don't really know fully. I haven't even, I, I probably should uh, kind of reflect on that and, and flesh that out a little bit more. But to say all that, the wrestling started long before. And what's interesting is, so when I, when I write a sermon, the way that I um, best comprehend the material and sort of begin its final process of editing is through speaking it out loud. And so over and over and over. And I mean, I'll run through a sermon seven or eight times before Sunday morning. And finally, I was doing this Saturday morning. My wife is unbelievable and gives me the space on Saturday to sort of polish. And I felt, I finally felt a peace about it. I was like, okay, I feel like, uh, I feel like this is from the Lord. I feel like it's engaging. I feel, uh, optimistic that the spirit in me is going to use this. So that's great. So we go to a birthday party for a two-year-old as that's how you and I probably both spend most of our Saturdays is what it is. And I get a text actually from my mom about what was happening in Allen. And the first thought that comes in my mind is, oh, wow, this is going to be interesting because I'm preaching tomorrow. And then the second thought was, oh my gosh, I'm preaching on joy. Yeah. Like the most significant tragedy to probably happen, and this is quantifying the unquantifiable. No, but it, it happened in our backyard. Yeah. Like it's, when it happens in Nashville, when it happens in Uvalde, when it happens in Serbia, we, we see the pictures, we hear the stories, and it hurts, and we yeah. weep with we those who We don't have that weep. personal attachment. But I've been to Allen yeah. Outlet Mall. You've been there many times we have people who were there a staff member was literally there 30 minutes before i mean it hits differently when it's here totally and so to your point about wrestling particularly on saturday so saturday evening i'm knowing that okay i'm gonna have to tweak this in some way i'm not going to represent our church as detached and unaware 
And so as I'm wrestling through this, I, I forgot what it was, but to your point about just the proximity of it, I'm looking for something and I open a drawer on my nightstand and there's a J. Crew factory receipt. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know, I know where this is going to be from. But sure it is. to torture myself, I looked and of course it says Allen Premium Outlets, J. Crew factory there. And that ultimately just hit the proximity where I started to think this is also the first tragedy that I've really processed like this with now young kids. Mm-hmm. Start hearing about the H&M. Wells and I have been in that H&M not that long ago. And so now I'm wrestling with just the, the conscience of it as a father, as a citizen in our community. But then also, how am I going to teach on joy? Like, how can I, in integrity and honesty, speak about joy? And so I was torn. And luckily, uh, I, I talked with Richard and Gary and, and you as well. And so I, I had a little bit more assurance about what I felt like would be most appropriate for our church. But ultimately, I just sat with the Lord. And then as I said on Sunday, pretty clearly that the Lord sort of put on my spirit that like, of course, this is what we'll talk about, Pierce. Of course. Because in a day and age when shootings like this become too routine, I mean, it's the 200th this year. I didn't know that. Yeah. And... Uh, it just seems like we are constantly growing bleaker and bleaker as a society. What else could you talk about? Because where else are you going to find joy in a world like this, in a world where someone opens fire at an outlet mall than the Lord? And so it's it in all sincerity, it became a how can I talk about this to what else could we talk about this morning? Yeah. We had some questions that people texted in. Um, one is just a basic understanding of what joy is. And the question is, what is joy? Is it an experience, an emotion, or a state of being? Yeah, I joy is a tough word to define. Um, I, I think if, if had to choose one of those three categories, I would say it's closest to a state of being. You know, I, I think I said it's a disposition. Mm-hmm. It's a posture, and I know those are really churchy words. I think to think of experience and emotion, you're probably thinking a little bit more of happiness. And the way that it makes most sense in my mind is to think of happiness as something that's always going to be dependent on circumstances. And that's not all bad. The circumstance might be you celebrate your birthday at your favorite restaurant. That's going to increase happiness. Praise God. That's great. But it can also change as fast as the circumstance change. So if, if we tie joy to our circumstances, then we will never, as Paul says, be able to rejoice in the Lord always. Because Paul never says anything about your circumstances are always going to be ripe for happiness. I mean, his circumstances in Philippians 2 are not ripe for happiness. I would argue that based on the context of Philippians, there's no way that Paul was happy, right? Who's happy in he's either— in, He's in chains. Yeah, yeah. he's in chains— in either a house arrest or prison. And so there's no way that his circumstances led to happiness. But his rootedness in the joy of the Lord, right? His disposition as someone who had, I think, as as you said, the state of being as a joyful person, that defied his circumstances. And so that's how he could rejoice in the Lord always. And, and I think it's really interesting. And you 
have probably remember a lot more from your Greek classes than me, and, and I wish I could have got into them this, this <laughs> little bit more. But but the the relationships, I'm like about to ask you a question. I, I don't know if this is how this works, but no, go right ahead. You know, the relationship of kara to karas, mm-hmm. which is remember, joy is kara, karas is grace, and they're both sort of cognates of each other, and then joy ultimately being an awareness of God's grace. I mean, that's a state of being that you live in, right? I don't know if you have anything to, to add to that or any thoughts. Well, I think in terms of it being an experience, um, an emotion or a state of being, yeah, it, it is a static state of being that you're in, but it's also dynamic in the sense of there is an experience. I think you bring out a great point that you can't hitch your wagon to your circumstances right. to find joy. Right. But you have to hitch your wagon to something. Mm-hmm. That that's what it is to be mm-hmm. human. Um, it's you know Pascal's wager mm-hmm. is um, you know you you got to bet your life on something. Is is essentially what he's saying. And so when I think of well, what does it look like to bet your life on something? There is an experiential aspect to this. This is what Edwards was talking about in a treatise on religious affections. He, he said there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. Yeah. It, I mean, this is a major theme in biblical theology. Yeah. Taste and see yeah, that the Lord that. is good. Yes. There's an experiential aspect that comes with living in that state of being. And and I mean, you've had this experience before. You know, the first time that your kid tastes, I mean, take honey, for instance. You know, he. I remember the first time that my middle child, Matthew, had honey. And he had never had honey before. He had maybe seen that bears eat honey he had seen that his older brother eats honey but he had never actually tasted honey and when he tasted honey you could see it kind of just break out on his face that smile yeah and so i i think there is something that comes with the experience that drives Mm -hmm. the state of being of being joyful absolutely i mean i think of it so 100 percent agree um to me, the, actually, the example I thought of, and I, I wish I would have used this on Sunday, uh, in a way is, is, and this is maybe f- further fleshing out just, just where do we kind of draw lines between happiness and joy. And again, I want to reiterate, I do think they can be byproducts of each other. Sure. So I think joy wrong can to be happy. happy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Paul was probably happy when Epaphroditus came with the gifts and a good friend came. Of course. I, I mean, he, be- he was loved the people of Philippi. Mm-hmm. So that increased happiness, and therefore his joy, I, you know, I, again, I don't think joy is something that so much increases and decreases like happiness does, but eventually Epaphroditus left. In fact, really interesting reading about, uh, in I think it's in chapter 2, where it says Epaphroditus almost died on his way, yeah. and Paul says, I'm anxious that he's still here with me. I want him to get back to you, and so he sends him back. So when Epaphroditus left, Paul's circumstances changed, so therefore his happiness changed but his joy maintained uh, the same, right? And so all that to say in a long-winded way, you think about like it's it's almost Memorial Day. It's boating season. And so happiness would be like if you went out, you found your spot in the lake, everyone gets out, starts swimming, but then you look at the boat and it's drifted away, right? Mm-hmm. Because you didn't anchor it. It's not anchored. It's not rooted in anything substantial. On the other hand, take that same scenario. You lower the anchor on your boat and your boat stays, it maintains in the same location because you're anchored in something. And so Point. joy has to be anchored in something. 
Another question we had is that I'm just not feeling any joy in my life right now. How can I be joyful? Go to Disney World. It's the happiest place on earth, right? There it is. Go to Disney World. No, so, okay. Let me set you up with this. Okay. Piper wrote a book a while back called When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. Mm. And in that book, he gives five ways that you can actually fight for joy in your life. Now, for the spirit, um, and let me preface this by saying this is, you know, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely, grace, the fruit of the spirit being rooted in built up in the foundation that is the spirit is going to cultivate fruit in your life. We're not fruit producers. It is the fruit of the spirit after all. Mm-hmm. And yet there is effort involved. It's not earning it's effort. And so what Piper would say is he gives five um, options, five strategies to fight for joy. One is to pursue a deeper understanding of God Two pray for joy. Three, focus on the promises of God. Four, practice the spiritual disciplines. Five, seek the fellowship of other believers. Out of those five, which are you most familiar with and which have you seen joy cultivated in your life? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think focus on the promises of God comes to mind because I I, I did want to look at Briefly, you know, you you talk about joy being a sort of a state of being, and and Paul in Galatians uses the word walk in the Spirit, and to your point that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Yes. Paul uses the language walk in the Spirit, and even as you're saying, I'm like, well, walking is active. It is. Right? It's it's, it's not, you're not being dragged along in the Spirit. But, But all that to say, Jesus uses the language of abide, right? And so in John 15... You know, verse four, he says, remain in me and I also remain in you. Okay, so we clearly see that there's this remaining component, this abiding. But I want to know, okay, well, what does it mean to remain? And I think he gets into that. And then if in verse seven, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So there's a big clue to what does it look like to abide? What does it look like to remain? What does it look like to walk in the spirit? Well, the word of God has to remain in you. So how does the word of God remain in us? Well, I think it means that we, as scripture says, we devour this book, right? And so to focus on the promises of God, but even more interesting, you look at verse nine of John 15, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So now we're remaining in Christ but more particularly, we're remaining in his love. How do we remain in his love? If you keep my commands. So we keep his commands. And so I, I and, and that's why I kind of ended with this whole five for 15. You know, I, I really do think the question was, how do I experience more joy or something along yeah, those sure. lines? I, I think you have to start. And it sounds like almost a cliche because it sounds like our answer for everything. Read the Bible. Pray. Yeah, but God, it's because Jesus. it is kind of an answer for a lot of things. Right? Yeah, there's a reason that it's the Sunday school answers because yeah. it works. Yeah, and Sunday school answers aren't always bad, especially when they're scripture. And if you agree with me, which I hope you do because I was just reading my Bible, <laughs> then yeah, the, the Sunday yeah. school answer of read your Bible, it, it does work. And now, to be fair, it's it's reading the word of God in a way that you are not just reading it as text, but you're reading it as a sure. living inspired uh 
you know, holy book that is unlike any other book, obviously. And so I think that remaining uh, in the Lord through keeping his commands, I forgot what Piper's one of that was, focus on his promises, Focus right? on his promises. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And then for me, another one of those, and, and this is uh, just how God wired me, but mm-hmm. I'm an outgoing person. I prefer relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I love and find a lot of joy being with the fellowship of believers. Um, you know, and, and again, to Philippians 4, uh, I, I think that's why Paul is so excited. I mean, if he's either in a prison cell by himself or on house arrest, he's probably gone days without seeing people. Sure. And so he lights up at Epaphroditus's presence. Yeah. And at the visit of him. And I'm, I, I tend to be the same way. I mean, and especially there's a few key people in my life when I get to spend time with them, mm-hmm. honest genuine time my soul is refreshed in a way that not a lot of other things refresh my soul well you brought this up in your sermon you you said that that in terms of neuroscience Mm. who lights up whenever you walk into a room yeah speak to that a little bit more yeah i mean there's there's been tons and tons of of research done on this but but it's it's pretty common knowledge from neurologists, psychiatrists, that, that our brain, you know, the neurons in our brain crave connectivity. Sure. And and they have distinguished that, it's important to note, through connectivity, meaning face-to-face. Okay, we do not get the same response when we are, I said, face-to-screen, to-screen-to-face. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and that's why, you know, you can now FaceTime all over the world. Okay, my brother lives in Canada. He just had a baby. And She's, he's in movies. And he's in movies. He knows mm-hmm. Joe Wagner. Who? Who? And Candace Cameron Bure. I don't know these people. These are Hallmark actresses. Okay. Well, Preston Vanderslice is number one. I agree. And and so they had this baby, Margot, and I face time with her all the time. But I just want to book a flight because I want to see her because I want to connect with my new niece. FaceTime screen is not cutting. And so there's a connectivity. There's a great, great book. Uh, called The Other Half of Church. Yeah. And I actually convinced Gary to read it. And he'll tell you the first time he read through it, he did not like it. Right. But then he went back and looked at sort of what he highlighted noted. And then he did like it. But all that to say, in this book, it, it talks about the 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 sort of a, a pure definition of joy is the feeling you get when you walk into a room and you see the excitement on someone's face that you're present in that room. Yeah. And you, know, you see this with your kids, right? There's, it's one of the best times of the day is when you walk in from work and your kids run up to you and there's this excitement because you're home, you're there. Well, that increases and infuses us, at least per this book, with a sense of joy that we were created for. And so, and how much more is it? So we have a horizontal joy where I walk into a room, my kid's face lights mm-hmm. up. People, shameless life group plug, you know, you walk yeah. into a life group room, people's face light yeah. up. No, it's not shameless. That's how we were made. Sure. Yeah. But how much more when we realize yes. that God's face lights up yes. when he thinks of us. Yes. He's always thinking about yes. us. And therein is the gospel that, mm-hmm. yes, we live in a broken world and we are far more broken in our sin than we ever thought possible. And yet... We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared imagine. What's the the classic benediction in Numbers? Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. 
But I think that's an important scripture to note. It to is. Your point. Yeah. May his face shine upon you. I think there's something to that, that mm-hmm. when the you realize that the Lord's face is shining upon you, that you are accepted, yeah. that you are loved. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we're getting into, you know, further back into Westminster and, you know, Edwards and Lewis and this, these great lines. You are. I, I don't know any of that, but you play it off, but you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. God is the yeah. source of all joy. And to the extent that we understand deeper his love for us, that is where joy is truly found. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm sorry you couldn't get Gary this week, but I'm always happy to sub in. We'll be all right. He'll be back next week. Okay, good. Yeah.